He wants to stand up straight the way he used to and speak in his honeyed, hypnotic way like he used to before the bullet took his lips off. He wants to tell her that the secret to his success under suns both gold and black was that he was sure he had to succeed. He lived as if the world belonged to him and the world bent as required. He wants to tell her that he did it wrong. Doing it his way got him here. No matter how you did it, it only ever ends the one way. He thinks there's meaning to that somewhere. He wants to talk to her about this. He wants to talk to someone, anyone about this. But he has never been a man who converses. He is a man who gives orders. Only now there are no orders to give. And now there is no one to follow them. So he lets Betsy Overby talk. As she talks, it seems to Mem Gray that the bars of the cell are widening, the absent space between them thickening as if someone is pouring a waterfall of tar. He floats to the dark, into it, images appearing like a curtain parting to reveal the play. It is Christmas, and the man McRae is at his home. He is always home at Christmas. Other holidays and gatherings are negotiable, but not Christmas, never Christmas. Being separated at Christmas is not what perfect families do, and he has the perfect family. He has seen to that. The gorgeous wife the handsome son, the opulent home. The tree sparkles and the festive decorations shimmer. Out the window, fat snowflakes fall steadily, completing the perfect Christmas image. So why does the wide smile on his face feel so false? Why does his gorgeous wife look at him not with disdain, not with hate, he's had a few trips around the marriage block before, he can handle hate. But instead, with a dull, disinterested kind of bile. Why does his son, every inch of him the proud heir, always look so uncomfortable in his own skin? Why isn't this right? He's tried this a few times now. This time, he's done it perfectly. So why at Christmas now did he look out the window and see not the mesmerizing field of earthbound stars whose every electric pulse seemed a kind of hallelujah, but instead only the vast gulfs between 
the pockets of darkness you recognized as shallow from the street, but that seemed each one to contain an ocean that would hold you close and never let go. He excuses himself to the bathroom. No one pays him any mind. He passes a long moment standing in front of his mirror, expecting any second for the bugs to writhe beneath his skin. He bares his teeth, and animals challenge. Fight me. Fucking fight me. He frowns at his reflection. For a moment there, only a moment, but a moment is enough to cause disquiet. For a moment after he relaxed his lips, the mirror's teeth remain bared. His mother always said that if you make a face for too long, it will get stuck that way. For a moment, only a moment, a moment is nothing, a moment is everything. For only a moment there stood before him a man unencumbered by the petty human need for aesthetically pleasing appearances. There was a man who need only worry about survival and who indeed continued to survive. That man scared him. That man called to him. And he did not want to resist. He wants the taste of blood on his tongue. He wants the purity of kill or be killed. He wants... He wants anything but this life he now has. A dollhouse is simply no fun if the dolls are able to register their unhappiness. He thinks about death. He wonders about killing. He washes his hands in the bathroom sink and returns to the living room. His perfectly assembled life takes on with or without him. His gorgeous wife and handsome son watch him carefully as he sits down once more. There is a light in their eyes, one that he recognizes at once. Hate. That's it. Pure hate. But that's just fine. The dollhouse may be in uproar, but the revolution is useless. He can smash the dollhouse any time he wants, stomp it to pieces, should he so choose. So he will not mind their hate. It adds spice to the meal. They can hate all they want. The power will always be his. He sips his eggnog and smiles. He's happy to hate them right back. It is Christmas, and the man McRae's daughter is outside his cell. She is his daughter, of course, 
How could he have ever believed her to be anything else? Never a handsome young man, but always this beautiful woman waiting to be allowed out, until at last she grew tired of waiting. How could he have missed that? How could he have said what he said? How could he have done what he'd done? How could he have fought so hard in the name of a boy whose name he no longer knows? A boy he now recognizes as only illusion. Dad, Cassandra says, Dad, you have to talk to me. I don't know how many other chances we'll ever get. My people want your head. Your people aren't objecting. I'm resisting that as best I can, but I'm running out of reasons why. Betsy Overby sits in the corner of the cell, too furious to even speak. Dad, our lives are enough of a fucked up Greek tragedy as it is without actual patricide. It doesn't have to end that way. She sighs. She looks like her mother. How did he never see how much of her mother was in her? I've wanted to kill you for my entire life, Cassandra says. Even when I thought I left you far behind, even when I thought I'd forgotten about you, you've never left me. There's only one way out, but goddammit, I don't want to do that. I have lost fucking everything I have ever loved because of you and this city. I don't want to lose the piece of me that killing you will cost. So give me some reason to believe there's something in you worth saving. Please, Dad, please. He wants to tell her he did it wrong wants to tell her that he now sees behind him the road comprised entirely of wrong turns. There is a path he should have walked. There is the path he could walk still if he offered himself up to her mercy. If he told her that he'd done it all wrong. But he is not a man who ever gave mercy. He has never been a man who would ever ask for any in turn, and he is not interested in being what he is not. Eventually, Cassandra's eyes burn with old hate newly felt, and she leaves. She'll kill us soon, Betsy says. They'll march you through the streets like Mussolini. It'll be a fucking party. That's what she'll allow. That's not right. That is not right. The man McRae has nothing to say.
is Christmas and the mammoth ray's son, his son, you will only allow him to be that, only that is standing before his desk. Lipstick smeared, blouse torn, bruises on his, his, only ever his arms from where the mammoth ray's goons grabbed as they hauled him, only ever him out of the latest hovel where he went whenever he escaped. His son cannot meet his eyes. Fine, good. This fear is the only way McRae knows his spawn is ever truly paying attention. Without the fear, these two are numbed to one another's existence, without even the passion for hate. Just like her. He will not allow the thought. He will not allow the mother to be visible in the sun, his son, only ever his son. As his rage grows, so does the fear in his child, steaming off the thin body like sweat on a cold morning. There's a taste to fear. He loves it. A hunter's perfume. McRae says, Why do you do this? Why do you make me do this? Do you think I enjoy this routine? You make me play out time after time? You're not worth all the fuss, not to mention the actual cost that goes in to tracking you down after every time. So let me go, his child pleads. He sees how painful that plea is, the shame in how the voice cracks. The man McRae steps out from behind the desk. He presses close to Cassandra so she will feel him, all of him. Do you really believe that's something I would ever do? Do you really believe that I will let you out into public as this thing you've turned yourself into? Do you have any idea what that would do to our name? I don't want your name. In memory, the boy and the woman rest over one another, a double exposed photograph. I don't want the name or the money or any of it. You can be free of me, Dad, and never worry about me ever again. I do not worry about you. I do not give a single everlasting fuck about your welfare. But there are rules. Rules that you will pass to your children just as I will pass them to you. Despite whatever your obvious deficits may be, you are my firstborn son, and as such, I am not your son, Cassandra screams. In memory, the boy fades. And the woman shines. My name is Cassandra. I am a woman, and I have always been a woman. And I am never going to let you or anyone deny that. Never again. That was the first time he beat her. 
stirring, he sucked air between his teeth and emitted a low moan. After, he threw up. Later, he iced his hand, and the ice reflected back a face with bare teeth. An animal's challenge. She never gave him a moment's peace after that. She used his money to bribe his employees to help deliver hormones and other supplies. She planned the entire operation via a burner phone she bought at a damn Cumberland Farms. After she took off that time, he didn't find her until it was already too late. When he drove his fist into that defiant face, he didn't consider it punishment. He thought of it as justice, payback for the son this woman had stolen from him. In memory, still she shines, even through the blood. It was a depressed ruin that returned to the city with a woman he did not know what to do with. Pleasures gave him no pleasure. It was all out of his hands now. And then the black sun rose. And suddenly, the world was his once again. It is Christmas, and the man McRae knows he is meant to feel badly. He is meant to feel guilt and shame and mourn the life he could have had. The monster reflected in the bars is meant to be a sad parody of who he was, of who he might have been. But that is not what he sees. The guard who is meant to be watching them, has stepped outside to share a celebratory drink with his fellows. They have come so far and survived so much. Betsy Overby's hands are on his shoulders. She might be giving him comforting contact, only then she squeezes, holds him tight. It's not right, she whispers. I won't let them, not to you. He could yell, the guards would come. He could ask for Cassandra, she would come. He could never atone, never be redeemed, but he could make the effort, take the first steps down the path even if there is no way he would ever reach the end, if there even is any end besides the ultimate, the final. But he knows that he is not that man. I love you, Betsy Overby whispers in his ear. Hers is the only kind of love 
he deserves. The first time his head strikes the iron bars, there is no pain, only stars. He missed the stars. They are singing. There is pain the second time his head strikes the iron bars and the third. Slow molasses turns the stars to red. Still they sing. He cannot feel his face. Wet coats his body, his fingers, below his waist, down his legs. It is hot. He is cold. Voices behind the stars. She lets him go. The fall to the floor lasts forever. The fall to the floor is so fast it can hardly be said to have happened. He hears her crying. He is sorry for it. Behind the stars are voices. Oh God, they say. Oh my God. He should do the same. He should call for mercy now, at the ultimate, at the final. He is not that man. He will never be that. It is cold. How can it be so bright and yet so cold? It is cold. When Cassandra arrived at the cell moments later, it was already too late. Her father, the man McRae, lay dead. Teeth bared in an animal challenge. Hi everyone, I'd like to lead off with an apology. Uh, if you couldn't tell, this episode was obviously intended to be released around Christmas, uh, but between first the holiday season and then me having two consecutive colds, which cost me my voice twice, uh, I've basically just been unable to finish it. Uh, my voice actually still isn't all the way back yet, but I, I couldn't let it linger any longer. And I figured, you know, it's near, near enough that I can do a, a good enough job for the episode. Um, but like I said, I'm very, very sorry that this episode got pushed back, so it's no longer seasonal. Um, but hopefully people listened to it anyway uh, and liked it anyway. So, But like again, just once again, I'm sorry that there was such a delay. Um, so for people who don't know me yet, uh, if this was your first episode, uh, weird choice. But uh, my name is Brent Foley. I write, record, and produce the show Black Sun Dispatches, uh, which uh, Black Sun Dispatches is part of... <laughs> Black Sun Patches. Black Sun Dispatches is part of the Cinepunks Podcast Network, uh, which has a lot of other cool shows, including Cinepunks, Loud Fast Philly, uh, Horror Business, love Horror Business, great, great podcast. Um, yeah, so there's tons of great stuff. Uh, if you go to the Cinepunks website, you can also find tons of great writing. Uh, and we have podcasts about a huge range of subjects, including one all about Alpha Flight, you know, that comic book series. 
Um, so yeah, so regardless of what you're interested in, there's probably something you aren't really going to be interested in at Cinefunk, so head over there. Sponsorship for Blacks and Dispatches and also Cinefunk's program comes from Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, a really, really cool uh, online store. So please go visit, give them a visit, and uh, you'll find some cool uh, t-shirts and other kind of clothing for yourself. Uh, you can also be a sponsor for programming like Blacks and Dispatches yourself uh, by donating to our Patreon, which you can find on the Cinepunks website. Uh, really, really appreciate uh, anything people can give. Um, so you can follow me, Brendan, on Twitter at the true Brendan F. And if you'd like to follow the show on Twitter, so you can find out uh, how bad the delays are going to be episode to episode. Uh, you can follow them it at Black Sun Show. Uh, the design of Black Snippets' logo was created by Jennifer Rogers, and the music underneath the episode is Winter by E.L. Heath. Uh, please rate and review the show if you enjoy it. Uh, it helps, it's a huge, huge help to spread the word. Uh, and if you don't like the show, um, then don't rate and review it. That's not cool of you to do that. Mean. All right, so the hope uh, is to uh, get back to the one episode a month format going forward. Um, this episode marked the end of the Civil War arc that started uh, back in 2019, I guess now. So uh, stay tuned. Like I said, follow us on Twitter uh, for updates as to when the next story is going to drop. Uh, the plan will probably be the mid, mid, mid uh, in February. Uh, well, it's going to come out February, but I think the plan for the day it's going to drop will probably be around... Uh, the 17th. That sounds about right to me. So yeah, so like I said, keep, uh, keep an eye posted for the next episode uh, and I hope you guys enjoy I hope you guys have enjoyed the Civil War series. I hope you enjoy what comes next and I really hope you enjoyed this episode uh, late as it was. Um, okay, my voice is starting to go again so I really should just shut up. So, uh, bye everybody. Happy, happy New Year and I will see you soon.